0: check one, two. All right, I want to welcome you to another live edition of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. This is your host, Brother Nick Bailey, coming to you from the United Baptist Church Auditorium on this Tuesday, February the 22nd, 2022. And forgive me as I just take a minute here to get all my ducks in order and make sure that we're where we need to be as I went ahead and started the video and I forgot to turn the sound system on so trying to make some necessary adjustments just to make sure that we don't uh blow you guys out here tonight whether you be watching or listening to the broadcast so um let's see if that's maybe a little better yeah I think we'll Able to go with that, but again, appreciate you tuning in. Coming to you a little later on uh, this evening than what we would like, but it's okay, we've had a very busy day today. Had several pickups uh, at the thrift store as the thrift store is booming. We've got a 20% sale off or sale uh, on all furniture going on right now at the thrift store. And uh, we've got furniture going out just as quick as it's coming in. So praise the Lord. God is blessing and He is continuing to take that ministry, the Ark Thrift Store, to uh, new heights. As yesterday, we saw the greatest day in sales that we've had um, since the store's been open uh, going on two years now. So praise God for what the Lord's doing. Uh, at the Ark Thrift Store, 313 East Bernard Avenue, here in Greenville, Tennessee. um, We're trying to help our community, whether it be by way of evangelism, benevolence, and ultimately through um, substance abuse recovery by way of discipleship. So pray for us, and uh, if you have any items that you'd like for us to pick up, uh, whether it be garage sale, yard sale, estate sale items, maybe you're just cleaning out your basement or your garage, we'd be glad to come load those items up on our box truck. We have a brand new lift on our box truck that sure is coming in handy, or if you'd like to uh, load them up yourself and bring your items to uh, the art Thrift Store, we're open Monday through Friday, 10, to 5, 10 o'clock a.m. to 5 o'clock p.m., and uh, come check us out, we've got all kinds of items in store and uh, the Lord just continues to pour out His blessings upon that ministry. I guess you've noticed that today is um, twos across the board, or deuces across the board, so to speak, 2 22, 22. and I don't know what that means, if it means anything, but yesterday sure was a lovely and warm day here in northeast Tennessee as my girls were out of school Holly and I took them down to Gatlinburg and enjoyed a nice evening walk, walking the streets of the small mountain town. We ate corn dogs and funnel cakes for lunch and ended the day by eating at one of my favorite restaurants in Pigeon Forge, which is Huck Finn's. And yes, uh, whether or not I have a good day or a bad day, a lot of times is characterized by what I eat. Uh, Amen. We had some fried catfish, mashed taters with gravy, shelly beans. Slow, hush puppies onions and pickles and boy was it good it was so good that we left feeling miserable uh, i just had to finish up the day with a peanut buster parfait from dairy queen and i can't think of anything more heavenly than that can i get a witness that was yesterday uh, today has been a rainy day here in green county tennessee and i think i can hear it raining right now outside the church but the lord is still good and he is forever faithful somebody say amen Uh, by way of prayer prayer request tonight of course i will mention this do remember that tomorrow is uh wednesday hump day which means it's prayer meeting and bible study at your local church do remember the united for christ youth ministry that takes place every wednesday at seven o'clock p.m we have church vans that go out into the community and pick children up so if you'd like for us to pick your children up if you'd uh and if you live within pro- close proximity to the city limits, we would be glad to come pick your children up. Call me at area code 423-863-1830. We have, uh, again, teachers that teach the children the Word of God, van drivers that, uh, again, take their jobs seriously, and we're just doing our best to reach another gener- younger generation for Jesus Christ. Uh, we have Bible study and prayer meeting services upstairs while the united for christ ministry is going on so if you want to bring your kids uh to church they can go downstairs and be a part of the united for christ uh, services youth services while you stay upstairs and attend the prayer meeting and bible study so you just uh come out and i know your kids will have a good time and you'll be welcome um in our services uh pray because Uh, Last Wednesday night, we had 46, 47 children show up for United for Christ program, and uh, we've been hovering just below that 50 mark now for the last few weeks, and we're praying that the Lord's going to put us over the 50 mark. So you pray that God would do that, and when when, when He does, we're going to give Him all the glory for it. Prayer request tonight, continue to remember the Chapman family, remember Bob Price, Remember Shirley Neese, Lula Kutchall, Cheryl Davis, uh, Gary Gridley, Tanya Barham, Zach Stanton, Sam Stillner, Lynn Harrison, and Scott Dunbar. Remember these requests and prayer. And uh, God help, we need to remember the situation in Ukraine, as I've been watching that now for several weeks. And uh, sure enough, the Russians are in the process of invading the Ukrainian re- uh, region. And we may not realize just how significant of an event this is uh, as it is eerily similar to what transpired in the late 30s, 1930s under the Nazi regime with Adolf Hitler. And then on the grand scheme of uh, the Bible stage, the prophetic stage, you could study uh, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, and 39. And you will see a grand battle that is foretold that uh, proceeds and comes before the battle of Armageddon that occurs at the end of the tribulation. But there is a, a great battle foretold that, uh, again, sort of kickstarts kick um, the, the, the end time events. And it's known as the battle of Gog and Magog. And we won't get into that other than to say that uh, most believe that some of the great players that are mentioned in uh, that battle are Russia, uh, the Bear of the North, um, Amen. Persia, Iran. You have the kings of the East, China. So many of the players that are that are uh, that are playing prominent roles in on the current world stage are mentioned almost in exact roles uh, in the Word of God. And could it be that this invasion of Ukraine by Russia may very well uh, be the the um, the spark that lights the fuse, so to speak, uh, for the end time events that are recorded for us in the prophetic books of the Scripture? I don't know. I don't even claim. I don't claim to be a prophet, other than to be a forth-telling prophet. I don't have the ability to tell the future. No need to. Because the Word of God has been completely inspired and provided to us. But boy, I tell you the way, we ought, to, uh, we ought to be having a sky watch. I believe Brother Ralph Sexton currently has been doing a series traveling to different areas around the world, and he's referring to that as a sky watch. So we need to be looking towards the skies, knowing that our redemption draweth nigh. Let's go to the Lord in the Word of Prayer And then we'll get right into tonight's Bible study portion of the broadcast. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you, God, so much for another privilege we have just to, uh, Lord, conduct this study. Lord, thank you for another episode, another open door, Father, you'd give to us just to share the inerrant truths of the Bible. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for uh, this uh, ministry that you've laid on our hearts. Thank you, dear Jesus, Lord, for the technology that you provided to make it happen. Lord, I thank you, dear Father, for the listeners and the viewers, whether it be by Facebook, YouTube, uh, podcast, Lord, whatever it is, whatever media forum is being used to, uh, to access uh, this broadcast. I pray that you would bless it. Use it, God, to permeate the, the hearts and lives of the viewers and listeners. God, that Your Word might uh, be exalted, Your name might be magnified. Lord, I pray that uh, You might use Your Word to make an eternal difference in the hearts and lives of everyone that is exposed to the Scripture today. Use me, God, today. Pray that Your Word might be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We might hide Your Word in our hearts that we might not sin against Thee. Honor Your Word, exalt Your Son by way of your humble servant. God, if there might be one today viewing or listening who is lost I pray that they might be saved before it's too late in Jesus name we ask these things amen I was just about to say you can be seated of course if you're standing up and you're watching or listening feel free to be seated if you want to but I'm not preaching to my congregation tonight so anyway During our last episode of the Trumpet Series broadcast, we spent our time finishing up the freedom portion of this last um, yield section of Romans chapter 6. If you remember, I've been emphasizing throughout our study of this chapter how that Romans chapter 6 can be divided up into three distinct sections that are revealed through three important key words that are used at various places within the chapter. And these words are as follows. Know, K-N-O-W, reckon and yield. And as I said, Paul recognized that there were some very important truths his audience needed to know and to be aware of as it related to their newfound identification and affiliation with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus uh, amen. And, and the first section of the chapter um, deals with these things, these questions that Paul asked regarding some things that we needed to know about ourselves uh, rela- as it related to the resurrection. Paul also understood that it wasn't simply enough for his audience to know or to be aware of these things, but that they must also reckon or make application and implementation of the truths into their everyday lives as Christians. Again, he's not using a southern slang, so to speak, that we use here in uh, East Tennessee Mountains. He wasn't saying, I reckon, <laughs> so to speak, but he was saying that we need to apply these things. We need to appropriate these truths. And again, after that, we knew and are and, and bec- made aware of the truths, uh, we need to reckon and apply them to our own hearts and lives as believers. But then the final step in the progression to having authority, dominion, and victory over sin in our lives as born-again believers is to yield ourselves to these things that we know uh, and have uh, reckoned under our account. And when we use the word yield, we're talking about a catering, a capitulation, or a concession uh, that we make towards that which we have recognized to be the legitimate authority in our lives. And specifically as it relates to the recognized authority of our lives as believers, we now have to decide and determine for ourselves whether or not we're going to yield uh, the individual members of our lives to the authority of sin and death or righteousness unto uh, unto life eternal and everlasting. But within this final yield section of Romans 6, I believe there are also three words Paul uses that can serve as subdivision and subcategories within the text itself. And there is as follows. Again, all of this uh, falls within uh, the category of yield. We're yielding the members of our bodies. Uh, But these three words, again, that, that, that serve as subdividers and subsections, so to speak, they are the word favor or grace, as it is found in the text. Freedom and fruit, favor, freedom, and fruit. And so far in our study of this final section of Romans 6, we've examined the favor and the freedom subcategories, but now I would like for us to spend our time on tonight's episode considering this final subdivision subcategory, which can be identified by the word fruit. Again, we have favor, we have been given freedom, and now we want to see what kind of fruit spiritually will produce in our lives uh, as a result of it but now uh, again I'm not totally sure and this is not going to be the final uh, episode before this week's out maybe as soon as tomorrow I'm just not totally sure yet but we are winding down our study of chapter number six chapter number six has been one of the most lengthy chapters we've discussed uh, since we began our study of the book of Romans way back in the month of September. You know, but I found that a lot of times I'm afraid that uh, Romans chapter number 6 is the, the, one of the most um, underappreciated and under-emphasized um, uh, chapters that are found within the entirety of Paul's letter to the Romans. So we're getting ready to wind chapter number 6 down and we'll be moving on to our study of chapter number 7 here in the next few days. So let's begin tonight, and all we're going to get through tonight is verse number 21. Let's look at what Paul refers to as a fruition. A fruition. Verse 21, What fruit had ye then in those things? Here the apostle introduces this new subcategory of the yield section of our study by asking a question regarding the fruit, the crop or the harvest that is produced, by the decision we make to yield ourselves and the the members of our body either to the reign, uh, uh, excuse me, yielding ourselves to the reign of sin rather than the reign of righteousness in our lives as Christians. Paul is first going to talk about, um, uh, again, uh, he's talking about what kind of fruit, all right? That's kind of the the main theme of these last three verses of Romans chapter 6. And first of all, he's going to talk about the fruit that, that occurs when we yield ourselves unto sin and unrighteousness. And he reveals here to us another evidence that is shown concerning just exactly who or what we have chosen to yield ourselves to as Christian believers. If you remember, I said in a recent study, uh, again, one of the words that is repeated over and over again throughout this section is the word ab- obedience. And obedience is one of the proofs uh, that exists as to who or what we have yielded ourselves and the individual members of our body to. Uh, again, who are, who are we obeying? What are we submitting our lives to? If we choose to obey and submit the members of our bodies into sin and iniquity, uh, and unrighteousness, then that is a telltale sign that we are indeed yielding ourselves to sin and we are still recognizing our flesh to have a form of authority, dominion, and reign in over our lives even though and in spite of the fact that we have been delivered from the reign, the authority, and the dominion of sin. See, friend, the truth is sin has been slain. It's in the process of dying. It has not died yet. It's a wounded animal. It's still dangerous. But uh, again, uh, it has lost its authority and over us. We've been delivered from the reign of sin. And uh, whether it be the individual acts of sin or our old Adamic sinful nature, uh, it has been impaled upon the cross alongside the body of Jesus Christ. It's been paralyzed. It's writhing around just like an old earthworm. Uh, that has been impaled upon a fish hook. It's in the dying process. Uh, And the only way it can be a threat or a danger to you is if you yield yourself to it, if you get too close to it. Uh, And you buddy and pal around with it instead of avoiding and separating yourself from it altogether. On the other hand, if we spend more time obeying God's Word and submitting the members of our bodies under the principles and truths of the Bible then that shows the fact that we have indeed recognized that we are now and under the newfound authority, dominion, and reign of Christ that's been made available to us through the power of the gospel. You see, friend, obedience and submission is one evidence and example of whether or not we're yielding to the authority of sin or to the authority of Christ in our lives as born-again believers. Uh, Again, who are you obeying? Who are you submitting yourself to on a daily basis? Um, But now beginning with verse 21 and continuing on down through uh, the end of the chapter, we find another evidence and proof that shows just exactly what we are choosing to yield ourselves and our lives to as uh, children of the Most High God. And this evidence is simply found by way of the word fruit. Again, we've already looked at favor... And freedom. But now our, we focus in on the word fruit. And obviously this word fruit can be defined as being a crop. A harvest. Or a production. Or a result of whatever kind of seed. That has previously been sown into our lives. And this goes back to the law of sowing and reaping. That is found throughout the scriptures. Galatians chapter 6 verse number 7. Paul wrote for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. How many of you believe that tonight? And whatever kind of fruit, crop, or harvest is yielding in our lives will be determined by whatever kind of seed that's being sown. You cannot expect to sow one kind of seed, whether it be physically or spiritually, and uh, uh, that seed produce an altogether different kind of fruit. If you want to reap righteous fruit then you're going to have to sow some righteous seed. But if you end up sowing sinful fruit, or excuse me, reaping sinful fruit, that tells me that somewhere along the line you've been doing you've been sowing some sinful and unrighteous seed. Jesus illustrates this principle and truth masterfully in his own life and ministry we in Luke chapter number 6, verse 43 through 46. The Word of God says, uh, red letters. Everybody wants to, to emphasize the, the red letters. Uh, amen. But instead of emphasizing the red letters, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to minimize the words of Jesus. But you got to consider whether or not whoever it was, uh, was doing the writing or the speaking, was, was, was the writer or the speaker talking to me as part of the church? Or was he talking to the nation of Israel? or to a specific group of people that are altogether unique from who I am. That old uh, psalm that says every promise in the book is mine is not true. Because although all the Bible is written uh, for you, for your admonition and your exhortation and your instruction, not not all of the Word of God was written directly to you. And the greatest way for you... To misinterpret and to wrongly divide the word of truth is to try to take a particular verse or passage of Scripture out of context and interpret it differently. In other words, apply it in a way other, other than and, and aside from the way it was written. And you've got to consider when you're trying to, to, to produce uh, a, the correct interpretation of a text of Scripture... Who was the writer writing to? Who was the the individual speaking to? What was the audience he had in mind? And friend, if your interpretation, if whatever interpretation you generate in your life regarding a particular passage of Scripture is contradicted by another passage of Scripture in the Bible, then somewhere along the line, your interpretation is wrong. And uh, again, because one... Passage is not going to contradict another passage of Scripture. We can make the Bible say anything we want it to say in order for it to fit our agenda. But let me just ask you tonight, when you are trying to rightly divide the Word of Truth, you need to be looking for consistency in your interpretation. Because if if your interpretation does not fit in uh, with other truths and principles in the Word of God, then more than likely you have produced and generated an improper and incorrect interpretation. But here in Jesus' own life and ministry, chapter 6, verse 43 of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 46, Christ said, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, or of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Notice here the similarity and the parallel between the seed of obedience and the fruit of righteousness. Versus the seed of disobedience as opposed to the fruit of unrighteousness. So again, the question is, what kind of seed are you sowing? Seeds of obedience and disobedience. And the simple answer to that question can be determined by the kind of fruit we are reaping, harvesting, and producing in our lives as Christian believers. Again, who are you, or what are you yielding yourself to will be determined and evidenced by whatever kind of fruit you are generating or producing in your life spiritually. Now there's a lamentation, verse 21. Whereof ye are now ashamed? Here Paul reveals how that the Roman Christians most definitely had some shame, remorse, and regret over the kind of disobedient seed they'd previously been sowing at one po- point in time in their lives. Friends, before we go pointing fingers of judgment and condemnation towards and against the Romans, I think we'd all have to say that we have some remorse and regret as it relates to the wrong kind of seed we've previously sown into our lives from time to time as God's people. And uh, let me just ask you here tonight, whether you be viewing or listening to the pro- the podcast, uh, or, or, or viewing uh, and watching the, 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 uh, the Facebook live stream or the YouTube upload? Anybody that's watching watching or listening to the program tonight ever sown any bad seed that, that they now regret? They wish they had sown a different kind of fruit, uh, seed than what they would sown? And how do you know that's the case? Because sooner or later those old chickens come home to roost. And uh, when you sow to the wind, you reap reap the whirlwind. Amen. And although for a time you may think everything's okay, even though you've been guilty of sowing some bad seed in your life along the way, but um, occasionally and every now and then all of a sudden something sprouts up. And it's not the kind of fruit that you want. It's a weed. Amen. Rotten fruit sprouts up in your life and you say, oh, I wish I could go back and undo that. Oh, I wish I could uh, uh, have said things differently than what I'd said them and done things differently than what I'd done. And uh, That's why it's so important to yield our members. See, the way you choose in which to yield the individual members of your body determines what kind of seed you're sowing in your life that eventually determines what kind of crop you yield and harvest in your life. And uh, one thing about it, friend, is uh, is, uh, just as sure as I'm standing before you here tonight preaching the Word of God, sinful seed that is sown will eventually, not always immediately, but it will always at some point in time in the future produce and result in a harvest of sinful fruit. And that's one of the most dangerous parts. And you listen to this preacher tonight. One of the most dangerous aspects of our sowing the wrong kind of sinful and disobedient seed in our lives as born-again Christians. I'm talking about the fact that the seed of our sinful choices don't always produce an instant or an immediate harvest. A lot of times, just like it takes um, time from the time you sow grass seed in your lawn you water that seed, and and you fertilize it. And the sun shines down on it. And there for a few days, you wonder whether or not that grass seed's ever going to sprout up. Uh, But sooner or later, after a while, you start seeing sprigs of grass springing up all over your yard. And uh, as days go by, the more and more sprouts spring up. And all of a sudden, uh, what was... um, a dry and barren looking yard all of a sudden begins to look green. And the more you water it and the more the sun shines down on it eventually, I'm telling you, your yard produces a, a, a direct harvest that is exactly according to the kind of seed that was sown into it. I'm talking about the law of sowing and reaping tonight. But listen, sinful, seed doesn't always produce immediate or instantaneous results. And because of that, we often take the process of sowing sinful seeds of disobedience lightly as if it's okay or no big deal. And if there's anything the old devil wants to do in your life, he wants you to minimize and trivialize uh, the individual acts of, of disobedience you commit as if uh, they're okay and, and uh, n- nothing will ever result in it negatively, so to speak, in your life. But friend, I'm just telling you, just because the fruit of our sinful choices doesn't always sprout up immediately, we somehow think we've gotten away with it and will not suffer the consequences of it. Amen. My grandma, they used to tell the story of when my my dad and his uh, brother and sisters were growing up, that a lot of times the kids would uh, disobey and, and break the rules and uh, she didn't always whip them immediately. And sometimes she'd let them go to bed and, and fall asleep. And then just after they had fell asleep, all of a sudden she'd wake them up. And she'd, uh, amen, discipline them and chasten them with a belt or a switch. Even though they thought they had gotten away with it because the discipline or the correction did not take place right after the... Act or the transgression was first committed. Romans chapter, excuse me, Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, the Bible tells us that we can be sure that our sin will find us out. And even though we may not want to admit it, and even though the old devil might convince us in our minds that we've somehow gotten away with it, the truth is we can know and be sure that somewhere along the lines our sin will find us out. And that whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. I want to say to you tonight that sometimes uh, the reaping process does not take place in your life. But sometimes uh, it occurs in the lives of your children or grandchildren. As sometimes uh, uh, the, the, the rotten fruit of our sinful choices that we make in our lives, it doesn't show up. Uh, in our lives, but it shows, uh, shows up later on down the road in the lives of our children or grandchildren. I'm talking about a generational curse tonight. Hebrews 11.25, there, there is pleasure in sin that only lasts for a season. Proverbs 14.25, there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You listen to me tonight, friend, just as sure as any other promise that is recorded for us in the Word of God, you simply will not get away with any sin you commit. And one way or another, amen, you're going to, amen there's a payday someday. Amen. And, and either our debts are paid for by the, uh, uh, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus as it was offered up for us on Calvary. Or we're going to pay for our sins on our own and by ourselves. It might seem like fun and games. When you're out there sowing all those wild oats of sin one day when you're having to gulp down and swallow the, the old bitter taste of all that rotten fruit, there'll be some regrets and you'll wish you could go back and undo and un-sow all the right kind of seed you sowed. Uh, you say, preacher, what are you saying? You better sow the right kind of seed in the first place. Uh, amen. So that later on in your life you don't regret Uh, The kind of seed you sowed Amen I want to make sure that at the end of my life You listen to me this evening friend I want to make sure that at the end of my life uh, After I've uh, Turned old And my hair's become gray And there's wrinkles on my face I want to make sure That I'm reaping the reward The righteous reward of the righteous seed I want to make sure that I'm feasting on the righteous fruit That has been yielded and produced because of all of the righteous seed that I sowed while I was young and not the other way around. I don't want to be regretting uh, my early days and the early years of my adulthood, uh, bad choices and decisions that I made as a young man uh, that are yielding a rotten harvest and a bitter crop when I become an older man. Now there's a termination. Verse 21, for the end of all those things is death. In this statement, we find a description of another one of the great spiritual laws that are found within the Word of God. In fact, it is a spiritual law that will cause Paul to make what I personally consider to be one of the most grand and iconic statements that is found anywhere within the pages of Scripture just a couple of verses on down in our study as we conclude our study of chapter number 6 of the book of Romans, verse 23, where the Word of God says, For the wages of sin is death. And this goes right along with the previous statement that the Apostle made when he wrote about the difference between submitting ourselves unto the reign of sin or the reign of righteousness. Where right at the end of verse 16 of the same chapter, Paul wrote about the possibility of yielding ourselves to the reign of sin unto death. And friend, the truth is, whether it be for the saved man or the lost man, for the Christian or the unbeliever, there is such thing as the principle of a sin unto death. And it's not preached about in our world today. Now for the lost man, that sin unto death is spiritual, while for the saved man, it is physical in nature. And for the unbeliever, spiritual death means to be eternally separated from the presence of God as he suffers in the flames and fires Uh, Of a devil's hell. And friend, if you uh, reject Jesus and if you don't accept the full payment that was offered up on your behalf on Calvary, if you don't apply uh, that payment under your life's account, you're going to pay the price for your own sin. Even though the payment was made, the price was offered up, but yet you refused it, you rejected it, and as a result, you have to pay a debt that's already been paid by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What a tragedy that is. But bottom line, when a lost person chooses to spend his life sowing seeds of sin, iniquity, and unrighteousness, even though it may be somewhat pleasurable in this life, that same lost person will end up reaping the fruit of an eternity, burning in the flames of hell, as he ends up separated from God, being tormented in that awful place. Friend, if you're lost here today and it's not something we do a whole lot, but yet we do believe that this uh, this ministry certainly it's instructional in nature, uh, discipleship oriented, but it's also evangelistic. And our desire is to get the gospel out. and We believe God could uh, arrange things and order things to where it just so happens that somebody that's lost is listening in and tuning in and watching today's broadcast. And friend, if that's you and you don't know Jesus, you've never been born again. The blood's never been applied into your heart's account. As you either watch or listen to the trumpet series, I want to remind you that to sow seeds of sin, iniquity, and rebellion in this life means to suffer an eternal torment and hell in the world to come. And one thing's for sure, friend, for the lost man, the eternal reaping process in hell will not be nearly as pleasurable or enjoyable in the next life as the sowing process might have been in the here and now you may be you may enjoy and that's right the bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season but friend i'm here to tell you that when it comes to sin sowing sinful seed the sowing process is a whole lot more pleasurable and enjoyable than the reaping process you may, you may enjoy sowing sinful seed in this life, but it'll be the opposite of enjoyment as you spend eternity being in torment and tortured for as you reap the bitter and the rotten fruit uh, of eternal death and uh, everlasting separation from God as you burn in the flames of hell. Let me say this here today. Spiritually speaking, the sowing process is only tempor- temporary. Temporary. But the reaping process is eternal and it'll last forever. You think about, I've heard that illustration of a dash and your life is but a dash. And you look at a tombstone and you'll find two dates. The, the, the date where a man's life began and the date to where a man's life ended. And uh, that sowing process consists of the dash that existed in between the date of a man's birth and the date of his death but friend i'm telling you the reaping process is the opposite of short in longevity that reaping process is going to last forever and because the reaping process is eternal you better make it the highest priority of your life to make sure you sow the right kind of seed in this life while you have the chance and before it's too late because friend i'm telling you tonight once the sowing process is over In this life, you will never get another chance to go back and sow a different kind of seed. But instead, you're going to have to live with the results and suffer the consequences of the seed you've sown in this life by reaping an eternal fruit that's going to last forever in the life to come. And I don't want my eternity to be filled up by and consumed with regrets. Uh, Amen. As I suffer and remember all the opportunities I had to be saved all the times when I heard the gospel and all the, the occasions where I said no to the Holy Spirit as He dealt with my heart. When if all I, all I had to do was to say yes and to humble myself and to repent and to turn to, to, from my sins and to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm talking about sowing the right kind of seed in this life so you'll be able to reap the right kind of fruit in the life to come. So that's for the lost person. Boy, I'm starting to feel like preaching a little bit here tonight. How about for the Christian? And how can the sinful seed we sow in this life lead to a crop and a harvest of death as well? Again, when Paul wrote in Romans 6, 23 for the wages of sin is death. Was he only referring to a lost man? Or does that include a Christian believer as well? You see, friend, why the harvest of death and the... Life of a lost man is spiritual. The harvest of death can be reaped, and the life of a saved man is physical. And although as a born-again child of God, I cannot reap. It is absolutely impossible for me to reap a harvest of spiritual death because my life has been hid with Christ, and I've been given eternal and everlasting life that will last forever, and it's never going to end. And that's spiritually speaking. I will never die spiritually. My my new life as a saved born again child of God. It began the moment I trusted Jesus, received him, and repented of my sins, and it's never going to end. It's going to last forever. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We'll see that in Romans uh, chapter 8. John chapter number 10. Amen. Uh, amen. Uh, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Uh, Physically speaking, that's spiritually speaking. Everlasting and eternal life. It's never going to end. I'll never die spiritually no matter what. Because my life has forever been hidden with Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection has been imputed unto my heart and life. And it's going to last forever. I'm going to live forever. I'm never going to die spiritually speaking. Physically though, it is possible for the sinful choices i make that are the result and the consequence of me yielding my life and the members of my body to the reign of sin i've been delivered from why would i do that i don't know but a lot of people sure do they've been yield they've been delivered from the reign of sin but yet they're still living as if they're under sin's rule reign and authority and dominion that's been broken by Christ uh, amen. But if I yield the members of my body to the reign of sin I've been delivered from uh, to produce, a, it is possible for that yielding process, the sowing of sinful seed in my life even as a saved born again Christian to produce a harvest of physical death in my life even though I'm saved. 1 John five sixteen and 17. And I wish I had time to elaborate on this tonight. We could use an entire episode devoted to this truth that I am revealing to you this evening that is hardly ever preached from pulpits in our local churches. 1 John 5, 16 and 17, If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him, him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Mysterious verses that are hard for us to explain or understand. But I want to remind you that here John is writing to say born again Christians. Who have been given eternal and everlasting life. And because we've been given everlasting life spiritually it's impossible. For we who are saved to die spiritually even though we might still sin after we get saved. And by the way just in case you say oh preacher I've never sinned since I got saved. I've heard people say that. They'd say, I go through an entire day or an entire week or an entire month or even years at a time and never commit sin. Well, in the book of 1 John, the Bible says that if we say we have no sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and His word is not in us. So we're either a deceiver or we're deceived altogether if we have the audacity to make the claim that we are not uh, Guilty of committing sin After we get saved I'm thankful for what the Bible tells us In the book of 1 John chapter 2 Amen But if any man sin We have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous And he is the propitiation for our sins And not for ours only But for the sins But for uh, uh, the sins of the whole world And if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Physically speaking, there is such a thing as a sin unto death even for a born-again child of God. And by that I mean that it is possible for a child of God uh, or a Christian who chooses to yield himself to the authority and the dominion of sin that he's been delivered from by committing acts of disobedience. And, And again, I would say that this is not an occasional... Uh, accidental uh, falling into sin. I'm talking about a habitual or a repetitive practice. Continuing to sin over and over again in spite of the convicting of the Holy Spirit of God in your hearts when you continue to do that. And we, when you are uh, guilty of, in, in essence, trampling under your feet uh, the blood of Jesus Christ making blasphemy, utter blasphemy of His blood. And despising his grace and literally spitting in the face of God's grace that was imparted into your life. If you're if you have the boldness and the courage and the audacity to do such a thing without taking any thought of the fruit or the confidence the, the consequences of the results of it, friend, I believe you are in danger uh, of committing a sin that might end up being unto death in your life's. uh, physically and I want you to listen to me tonight friend physically speaking even though we're saved we're still going to die unless the rapture occurs uh, prior to our physical death Uh, amen I'm looking for the rapture amen but whether it be by death or by way of the rapture one way or another I'm headed home I'm going to heaven because my life spiritually is hid in and through the life of Jesus Christ And apart from the rapture of the church, one day we're going to die as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Amen. Physical fruit or physical death does not uh, cease to exist at the moment of our salvation. If that were the case, then none of us would die. None of us who are saved would die physically. Physical death, you listen to me tonight, friend, is still a fruit, it's a byproduct, and it's a consequence of sin. That we've committed in this life. Even though we've been saved by God's amazing grace. Spiritually I'm never going to die physically. Unless Jesus comes back prior to the event. One of these days I'm going to draw my last breath. And I'm going to die. Just like every man who's come before me has. And although salvation does deliver a Christian from spiritual death. It does not deliver us from physical death. And as candidly as I know how to say it, as God's people, our ultimate and final, you listen to this, friend, uh, deliverance. Our ultimate and final deliverance from the consequences of sin, the fruit of sin, the results of sin, which is physical death and everything that's associated with it will not occur and take place until the time of the resurrection when we finally receive... Our brand new glorified bodies as saved born again believers. Amen. Friend, you have not yet been delivered from the body of this death. You've not yet been delivered from the curse of sin, which is physical death. We've been spiritually delivered from the wages of death. We have not yet been delivered or set free from the physical consequences of sin. Uh, which implies so many things, whether it be physical death, sickness, suffering, sorrow, and sadness. And honestly, and, and I don't want to get on off on this too long because I could preach two hours on this, as it is my hobby horse and my soapbox right now. Rightfully so, I might add. But this deliverance crowd needs to, to know and be aware of this. And that is the fact that total and final deliverance from the wages and the consequences of sin will not take place until the time of our glorification that occurs in connection with the resurrection at the rapture of the church. And because the principle of sin is still a reality in our lives as God's people, and Paul's going to get into that and he's going to show it very clearly and very vividly uh, in chapter number 7 of the book of Romans. We have been delivered from the penalty and the power of We are being delivered we have been delivered through the, from the penalty of sin through justification. The very moment that I get saved, I have been declared righteous uh, by the high court of heaven. The gavel has fallen, not guilty, just as if I've never sinned. Justified. Amen. And, and the charges can never be brought up against me again. There, there's no such thing as an appeals court in heaven's high court once uh, amen. The verdict has been issued. The sentence has been passed down and delivered. Not guilty. Then, th- then that sentence is final. But now that I uh, have been justified and declared righteous, I am progressively being delivered from the power of sin in my life. Again, uh, uh, the the old nature of sin's been slain. Uh, it it its it's been wounded. Uh, It has received a fatal blow. Uh, My flesh was nailed to the old cross, the the old rugged cross, alongside the body of Jesus. And it's in the process of dying. And the longer I live, and the stronger the new nature uh, becomes as it grows and matures in my walk of faith as a born-again Christian. The weaker the old man, the, the, the flesh, the old nature, the weaker it gets and the weaker of a grip and a grasp. The rule and the reign sin used to have on my life before I was delivered begins to weaken until eventually one of these days at the time of my glorification it's going to finally be removed altogether. One of these days I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to receive a brand new glorified body. I'm going to be uh, forever and finally be delivered from the very presence of sin in my life. And not just the presence of sin, but also the curse, the consequences and the fruit of sin, which is death. But because we've not been delivered yet, we're in the process, the process of being delivered from the, uh, the power of sin. One day we're going to be totally and finally be delivered from the presence of sin. Physically speaking, the consequences and the fruit of our sin are still in effect and still have a limited realm of authority and power and over, over our lives, even though we've been converted. And what that means is that in this life, physical deliverance from the wages and consequences of sin are not always in accordance with the will of God. And physically, physically speaking, because you are still a sinner and because you still occasionally do commit sin in your life as a born-again Christian, God still holds the right and even the responsibility to still allow you... A, to continue to suffer the temporary consequences of your sin physically in this life. And you can't blame Him for it, for allowing you you to suffer, because the truth is you're guilty. And you deserve, and I deserve to suffer uh, the consequences of sin. I'm telling you, friend, if I got what I deserve for the life that I've lived since I got saved, I'd split hell wide open. It's only by the grace and the mercy of God that I've not been condemned, but I've been declared righteous. But still, because I still live in the old body of this death, the curse of sin is still relevant. One of these days I'm going to die physically. And because the curse and the consequence of sin has not been removed, sometimes it is according to the holy will of God for Him to allow me to suffer and for me not to be delivered. Amen, from the fruit of my sin. One day, at the time of the resurrection, when I finally do receive my brand new glorified body, when the curse of sin is removed and is totally and forever put out of my life, I will no longer suffer the effects of sin in my life in heaven and throughout eternity. Aren't you glad when you get to heaven that that the curse of sin will finally be removed? Well, wouldn't you be disappointed if you got to heaven and you started getting sick and you started suffering pain and discomfort in your body? Wouldn't you be disappointed if you got to heaven and you found hospitals or nursing homes or funeral homes, all of which are uh, vivid demonstrations and illustrations of the curse of sin that still uh, has fallen upon God's creation? But when we get to heaven, the curse of sin will finally be removed throughout all eternity. And because of that, there'll be no more sin. No sin will enter heaven. But you know what? That that doesn't mean that you've got to live your life sinless in this life in order to get there. Because if that were the case, then none of us would make it. Because none of us are worthy. We're all guilty even after we get saved. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to be delivered from the body of this death. The curse is going to be removed and there will be no sin in heaven. Neither will there be any suffering, no sadness, no sorrow, no separation, and most of all, no death. All of these are natural curses and consequences of sin. Friend, in this life, all of these things, they are simply... The natural fruit, the result and the consequences of sin we have and continue to occasionally commit in this life even after these things. But in heaven all of these things whether it be sadness, sorrow, suffering, sickness, separation, deformity, disease, disability and even death. In this life they are fruit and results of the sinful seeds we've sown all throughout the course of our lives whether it be before or even after we got saved, and it may not be our sin. Amen, it may be Adam's sin if you're looking for somebody to blame for all of these things. Sickness, sorrow, suffering, separation, sadness, death, disease, deformity, disability, uh, whatever D or S you want to put on the ending. If you're looking for somebody uh, to blame, look no further than Adam, the first man who sinned. And as a result of his first sin, he introduced not only the seed of sin, but the fruit and the result of sin. uh, He introduced death into the entire human race. And all these other things, the S's and the D's, are simply more consequences of the curse of sin. Uh, Amen. Sin is the reason. You know, people say, well, why do... Bad things happen to good people. Well, the the truth is there ain't no such thing as a good person. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because we're all sinners, we all die. We're all guilty. We all deserve to die and suffer and experience sorrow and disease and death and disability and deformity and all these other uh, things that that can be attributed as curses and consequences of sin. And I know that that doesn't fit into the convenient, sensational. You listen to me preach tonight. That didn't fit into the convenient, sensational, dramatized, experience-driven narrative of the deliverance crowd of our day. But yet, regardless of what some, uh, amen, immoral, dishonest, uh, uh, you know, a uh, man that, cons- that, that uh, consults with demons and devils to determine the will of God and people are going to fall for that mess uh, because what are they doing? they're, they're, they're being fed, they're been deli- they've been delivered up to strong delusion. They're a part of the, the great falling away. Amen, they're being led astray by false prophets. Amen. And imposters. The devil has infiltrated the church of living God. And he's imitating the truth by giving God by feeding God's people a lie that they're swallowing up as if it were just like candy. I'm talking about the false doctrine of deliverance. Amen. God has not promised you deliverance in this life, friend. The wages of sin is still death the rotten fruit of death that so often sprouts up into our lives, even as saved, born-again believers, after we get converted, is the natural curse, the natural result of the law, and the curse of sin that will continue to dwell in our hearts and lives under the day of our glorification. You say, preacher, what's your point? I'm trying to wrap this up tonight. Very simply, it's not always God's will to deliver you from a particular curse or consequence of sin that may somehow sprout up in your life from time to time. And sometimes it is according to the purpose and plan of God for His people, for Him to allow you to suffer rather than to be delivered. Suffering is a part of the plan of God. Sickness is a part of the plan of God. Sorrow is a part of the plan of God. Disease, deformity. Disability, death, is a part of the plan of God. Uh, again, I believe it's to the church at Thessalonica, Paul wrote that and, and reminded them, uh, amen, uh, that they were appointed to those afflictions. We are to rejoice in tribulations also. We are to embrace the sufferings and the afflictions and the persecutions of this life. Amen, knowing that these, these afflictions, these sorrows, these sufferings, These sicknesses may renown unto the glory of God, regardless of whether or not He chooses to deliver us from them or not. Amen. It may just be according to the plan of God to righteously and justifiably allow us to suffer as some form of fruit, consequence, and result of our sin. Now listen, don't put words in my mouth. I'm not saying the reason you've got cancer is because of some particular uh, a wicked sin you've committed earlier in your life I'm not saying that Amen, there's a lot of different reasons God allows His children to suffer and we'd be um, Amen, we're going to torture ourselves for by, by trying to get into the mind of God His, His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are greater than our faults and sometimes only He knows why He allows us to suffer and why it's, why it's not always according to His plan to deliver us. But I'm telling you, if you're looking for, a, a, for a, a general reason why we suffer, why we get sick, why we experience sorrow and separation in our lives, why disease and disability and deformity and even death occurs, so many times in our lives as human people, it can all be traced back to the curse of sin. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death hath passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And because death is a, and all of the things that, uh, the, the similar things that surround death are a natural, or a part of. Of the natural process and the natural uh, of the curse and the consequence of sin the law of sin the curse of sin that fell down upon adam's race uh, aside what some false prophet deliverance teacher might tell you it's not always according to the plan of god for you to be delivered in this life now in the next life sure we're all going to be delivered uh one day every one of us from the least to the greatest, will experience deliverance through Jesus Christ if we've been born again. But that doesn't mean you're going to be delivered in this life, friend. In fact, I've found more times than not that the will of God for His children is for them to suffer affliction, pain. Why? Because that's what happened to Jesus. Amen. The will of the Father for Jesus was not for Him to be delivered, but for Him to suffer all things for our sake. And because of that, the servant's no greater than his Lord or Master. And the will of the Father for the children are the same as it was for the Son of God Himself. And that is for us to suffer for the name of Jesus. To suffer for Him just as He was willing to suffer for us. And that may not be the message of the faith healer or the word of faith preacher. Amen. Are the signs... Uh, those who, who emphasize the signs, the tongues, the healings and the prophecies and all this other uh, rigmarole. But friend, it is the Word of God that many times it is according to the will of God to allow His people to suffer the natural curse of sin rather than to be delivered. Why? Because your life is not all about deliverance. It's not about all about your uh, convenience, your comfortability. It's all about His glory. And the truth is God can uh, so often get more glory out of your suffering and out of your sorrow and out of your sickness and out of your sadness and out of your separation and out of your disease and out of your, uh, amen, your disability and your deformity and your death. He can get more glory uh, out of your suffering and your affliction and your pain than He can, your deliverance. And that may again not fit into the feel-good narrative, but it is according to the Word of God. It's all about His glory. And if you just get that, you cannot have a proper understanding of doctrine or theological truth unless you understand the most basic thought of all. And that is, it is not about you. It's not even about your salvation. Amen. It's not even about keeping your no-good, undeserving, filthy, rotten carcass out of hell's torment. Everything God does in your life, whether it be pre or post salvation, it's all about His glory. It's not about the creature, it's about the Creator. God did not create you for yourself, He created you for Himself and for Him. And if He can get more glory out of your suffering and your affliction than He can your deliverance, then so be it. Amen. Amen. So bottom line, when it comes to deliverance, when some name it, claim it, when some word of faith false preacher tells you it must be God's will for your life to deliver you from whatever kind of suffering you may be facing, take Him to the Word of God and show Him how that suffering is a consequence of sin's law and curse that still dwells within us. And because of that, it may not be according to the will of God for you to be delivered, but instead to allow you to suffer. But praise the Lord and hallelujah to the Lamb. Well, before I get that, let me say this. One of the the telltale signs for a false teacher and a false prophet in our world today is this crowd, this name it, claim it crowd, that believes they have the power and the authority to deliver uh, by s- Deliver from disease, deliver from sickness, deliver from illness. Deliver from demons, God forbid, by speaking words into existence. That's heresy, that's blasphemy. Why? Because there's only one that's ever been able to speak things into existence. And it's not my word, it's not your word, or some false prophet or preacher's word. Amen, I it's God Himself. He spoke the worlds into existence. Amen. And this idea, this ideology and this philosophy that, that you and I can become little gods. That's what the devil told Eve way back into the go- in, early on in the garden. Ye shall be as gods. You can be like Him. You can know more than what He intended for you to know. You can do more than what He intended for you to be. You can uh, uh, amen, be more than who or what He created you to be. Instead of, uh, amen, lifting us up, it's bringing God down to our level. Amen. And friend, I'm telling you, you and I do not have the authority to speak anything into existence. Only God can do that. Amen, Jesus didn't even do that when He prayed in the garden. He was praying for deliverance. Nothing wrong, you listen to me as I wrap this study up tonight. There's nothing wrong with praying and asking for deliverance as long as you pray according to the will of God. Some people say, "Well, it's it's always God's will for you to be delivered." That's stupid. That is absolutely idiotic for anybody to say that it is 100 percent all the time the will according to the will of God for you to be delivered. Why why do people get sick? Why so it's never according to? I, I recently had somebody tell me that that it is always according to God's will for you to be healed and never His will for you to be sick. Well, I guess that means that it's never according to the will of God for a person to die, which again is totally contrary to Scripture. As it is appointed unto men once to die after this the judgment. Amen. Anybody that tells you that deliverance is 100% according to the will of God for your life is a heretic. They're a false prophet. They're a false teacher. Amen. Because the Bible clearly tells us many are the afflictions of the righteous. Amen. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In the world you shall have tribulation. Praise God. Be a good cheer for I have overcome the world. One of these days we're going to be delivered. But not always here and now. And once again, I have found in the, major, the majority of the time, it's deliverance is not according to God's will, but suffering is because, again, God gets more glory out of your suffering than He does your deliverance. But I want to end it on a, on a good note tonight, and that is praise the Lord, hallelujah to the Lamb. One of these days, we will be delivered once and for all. When, it, when that day comes, uh, we'll never be sick, we'll never suffer, we'll never be separated. And we'll never experience sorrow ever again. On that day, there'll never be any more disease, no more deformity, no more disability, and no more death. No funeral homes, no nursing homes, no hospitals. Why? Because on that day, both the law and the curse of sin will be forever removed. And will last throughout all eternity. What a day. Glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there, but forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't listen to the false preaching and the false narrative of the deliverance crowd that's giving, trying to give you a false hope. Lead your soul astray so that they can make merchandise of you and take advantage of you. Amen. By way of this cotton candy gospel. Do you know the deliverance gospel is is pretty much equal to that uh, of the uh, prosperity gospel? Same thing. Just different verse. That's right. Just like mean the prosperity crowd tell you it's always God's will for you to be wealthy and to be healthy. I mean the deliverance crowd's telling you the same thing. All you have to do is speak it and let it be so. Claim victory and claim, claim deliverance and over cancer in the name of Jesus. Claim deliverance and over your disease and over your suffering. and never one time do they mention if it be God's will. I want to remind you, and I know I should have shut up 30 minutes, minutes ago, but I'm on a roll right now. Paul asked the Lord three times, and I don't believe he was sinning when he did it. I believe he was desperate. You know, the truth is, people who are sick, people who are suffering, people who are experiencing sorrow and sadness in their life, diseased, a deformity, disability. Amen. If you hurt bad enough, and you experience enough, your life, Ends up in enough shambles, and you're going through enough pain and problems, you'll be become desperate enough to do just about anything. And that's why this deliverance, these deliverance preachers are so dangerous. Is because, again, they are extorting, they are making merchandise out of, and they are taking advantage of innocent people who are desperate for deliverance. Amen. That's right. Paul was so desperate that he asked the Lord three times for deliverance. But you know what God said? And I don't believe God was hard or calloused or uncaring or unsympathetic when He said it. But instead of granting Paul's request, and I believe Paul was praying and asking for it according to God's will. But just like he did with Jesus when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Oh, Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then He said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Did you know right there is a perfect example of the way we ought to pray when it comes to being delivered from our problems and our afflictions and our sufferings. Oh God, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Paul prayed the same prayer and, and I believe God gently said, Paul, no, I'm not going li- to deliver you in this life, but one of these days you're going to be delivered. Ultimately and finally. You're going to be delivered into to the presence of my glory. You're going to be changed. The curse of sin is going to be removed. You'll never hurt. You'll never be sick. You'll never suffer again. No more pain, no more problems. Amen. No more disease, no more deformities, no more disabilities, no more death. But until that day, Paul, can I just tell you, my grace is sufficient for thee. And friend, if you're watching or listening to the broadcast tonight, can I just say, and if you're in need of deliverance, go ahead and pray and ask for it. Nothing wrong with asking your pastor to, to anoint, with you, anoint you with oil and to pray asking humbly for deliverance. Don't command it. Don't demand it, but ask it in an humble, a meek, and a contrite way. Amen. But it could be when you do, the Lord might say, no, friend. No, my child, I'm not going to deliver you in this life. One of these days I'm going to deliver you. But until that time comes when you are finally delivered from the curse of sin and you finally experience True and ultimate deliverance, not in this life, but in the life which is to come. Child, can I just say unto you, my grace is sufficient for for you. Why? Because my strength, the strength of God, is made perfect through your weakness. And then why don't you just respond the same way Paul did when he said, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities at the power of Christ, may rest upon me i take therefore i take pleasure in infirmities in necessities and reproaches and persecutions and in distresses for christ's sake notice he didn't say anything about deliverance he said for when i am weak then am i strong heavenly father i love you tonight and i thank you for the strength and the grace you've given me to preach this message and boy just how Well, I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't asking for it. But Lord, it is so applicable to the current events of our day to where so many are preaching a false message of deliverance. Giving people a false hope that you are somehow obligated to deliver them and that they are entitled to deliverance uh, from the consequence of sin which is suffering in this life. Father, that's not the case. Lord, that's a false gospel. Lord, a gospel of deliverance rather than a gospel of salvation. But Lord, I pray for those who are sick, those who are suffering, those who are sorrowful, those who are sad because they've been separated from their loved ones, those who are deceased, those who are deformed, those who are disabled, and those who are on the brink of death or are suffering because of a loved one who's recently passed on. Lord, I pray that you'd comfort them. I pray that you'd make you Presence real in their life. Give them sufficient grace that they need. And God, if it be thy will, God, would you see fit to bestow deliverance upon their lives? Lord, I wouldn't dare command it. Lord, I wouldn't dare demand it from you. Lord, I wouldn't be presumptuous and uh, trying to claim authority in my name. Lord, you're the only one who has the power to speak things into existence. Uh, Lord, I pray if it be thy will, would you deliver those who are in need. But God... Father, You know what we need more than we do. And Lord, what we may need is not deliverance. What we may need is grace and strength and mercy and hope and help not to be delivered from the storm and from the sufferings that we endure in this life. But maybe we just need the grace uh, uh, to be delivered through the storm so that we might withstand and endure the affliction So that through our uh, suffering, your your name might receive glory. That your strength may be made perfect through our weakness. Lord, uh, help us to trust you to get us through whatever uh, measure of suffering or sickness or sorrow or sadness. That may uh, fall upon our lives. And Lord, help us. Lord, I pray it wet our appetite and cause us to have a greater hunger and thirst and desire for heaven. Lord, the truth is, heaven's sounding sweeter all the time. And Lord, uh, I've got more to go to heaven for than I did yesterday. And Lord, I'm thankful that one day there'll be a final deliverance. One day we're going to be delivered forever from the body of this death. And even so come, Lord Jesus, Lord... Lord, sometimes I wonder why you put up with it so long. But Lord, I believe we need to press on because it's not going to be very long until the trumpet sounds and you call us away. And Father, in that place, in that land and on that day, there will be total and final and permanent deliverance from every curse and every consequence of sin. Lord, I pray that this Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast might be a help and a blessing to everyone who's watched and everyone who's listened. We're going to praise you in advance for who you are. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hope you have a wonderful night. And may God richly bless you. Is my prayer.